everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That's right. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. If you like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast and rate the podcast, we would love for you to do that. If you don't, we will come over to ha- your house and watch 72 hours of Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> so you don't want that. So do it. Rate, subscribe, share with your friends. Man, this treatment, that that uh, little bit there reminds me of uh, the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gatsby, Rest in Peace, where sometimes he would read an ad read and he would say something along the lines of like, if you do not visit our sponsor, we will come into your house and replace all of your Fruit Loops with dog food. (laughs) (laughs) And just came up with something different every time. It was awesome. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So in that vein, I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Rob Dunham. And I'm not wearing a hat because as you can see, I have much less hair than usual. Yes. And uh, shout out to my wife because she is the one who cut my hair. There you go. And I can tell you why, because uh, I was out all day on Saturday and thought, you know, when we get home, I'll get a haircut. We got home at 445 and I soon realized that Barbara's close at five. (laughs) So I said, honey, I need a haircut before church on Sunday and you're doing it. There you go. (laughs) You did it. And it looks pretty good. So shout out. All right. So aside from our uh, haircuts, um, we have a good show. And we are going to talk about, unfortunately, Bond getting delayed again. No! Again. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about our favorite childhood movies that we might want to bring back. And directors with the most unique styles. And, of course, our watch list. All right, Rob. We're going to kick it off. Seems like the, why, why do we have to start with the sad news? Why? It's it's some it's news that hit after after we recorded the podcast last week, and we did not get a chance to to discuss it. But unfortunately, it seems like every other month or so we get the <sighs> the semi monthly bond delay news. Yeah, I cry every time. It's it's just this. There will be a new Bond, and that movie will be ready to come out before we actually see this movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you saw, but um, HBO Max, with their upcoming movies, they've actually like gone as far as to put actual dates in the app for like the next five upcoming movies. So they're not messing around. Like, yeah, they're making this happen no matter what. And it seems like for whatever reason, Bond is not on that train, and I don't really understand what's holding it up right now. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that they want this movie to make a ton of money in theaters. So uh, the news is Bond was supposed to um, had been delayed many, many times. <clears throat> the previous delay had taken it from its slot in November to its uh, to April. It has now been moved from April 2021 to October 8th, 2021. So it has now been pushed back to fall. And man, this movie just keeps getting delayed. And I think there's a reasonable chance that you could have a decent amount of people in theaters by late fall. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's clear that that's what they're, they're thinking is, is that they want this to have a big theatrical release. And the further in towards fall, you can push it, the more likelihood the vaccine has been distributed widely enough that people feel okay doing stuff in public. Um, it's pretty clear also to me that the rest of the studios don't really have a plan as to what they're going to do other than to continue delaying some things. Yeah. So, I don't know where this leaves us because Bond has, has for the early part of the pandemic, Bond was kind of the lodestone after Tenant. And I don't know if, what this is gonna mean for other releases. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't like it continually being delayed because I wanna see this movie. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I really wanna see it because I wanted to redeem what happened in the last movie. Mm -hmm. and the more it gets delayed the more like the doubt starts to creep into my mind that it's <laughs> not going to <laughs> so i'm i'm concerned yeah. uh like i said warner and uh with hbo max has seemed to develop like a really clear plan and strategy and they're like sticking to that they're putting specific dates on things they're getting people to watch we'll talk in a little bit about um the pretty massive impact that Wonder Woman had on HBO Max by itself. Uh, so you really have to, like, I'm just not sure, like, like you said with the other studios, are they just not doing something because they don't have the vehicle like Warner has, or are they just holding out because they want money like you said? And it's really hard to really uh, know what the situation is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the end result is that it's just a, it's just another bummer. <laughs> yeah. There it is. I mean, you know, if this were Justice League, you could already have Justice League and the Snyder Cut coming out at the exact same time. <laughs> decide to choose which one. So if you don't like Bond, you can just go reshoot half the movie already and have, yeah. <laughs> you know, have the director's cut out, you know. And rival theaters. Which theater do you go to? Which version are you going to see? Theater Wars. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be the first time in movie history that a movie and its sequel come out at the same weekend. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. So, yes, so that is the sad news. Bond moving from April to October. So the wait continues. Sad days. Yeah. <clears throat> so our next story kind of um, brings back a little bit more information uh, on something we covered a couple weeks ago, and that's the impact that Wonder Woman 84 has actually had on um, HBO Max and on the subscriber list for HBO Max. So um, AT&T uh, in their briefing press conference about Warner Media said, in fact, that Wonder Woman 84, the addition of that coming out on Christmas Day on the HBO platform simultaneously with theaters helped to double the HBO Max subscriber numbers. That's no, uh, that's no small feat. Yeah. Yeah. It, so that and, is I mean, third that's, quarter fourth quarter numbers. Yeah, that's also really significant because you have to take into account that before Wonder Woman came out, they got rid of free trials. So that's all money. <laughs> yeah. That's not people signing on for free trials and then canceling um, after watching Wonder Woman. So yeah, that's, that's very significant. Yeah. So this is third quarter numbers compared to fourth quarter numbers. 
and the numbers keep getting better for them. Um, so it said that the report that fourth quarter and full year results, noting the HBO Max subscribers had doubled to 17.2 million in the fourth quarter of last year. In addition, the company acquired 41.5 million HBO and HBO Max subscribers in the US by the end of 2020. So that service is getting bigger um, and it's really being driven by the strength of their model and the fact that you can watch big releases on HBO Max. And it also, the article also talks about the fact that they finally got the deal done with Roku. So that yeah. anyone who's got a Roku TV can now get the uh, HBO Max app, which they were not able to do for a number of months. And so that's not a small deal because there's a lot of Roku devices and Roku TVs out but there. That, that situation is actually what led me to get an Apple TV in the first place. So yeah, <laughs> and I, I've had it now for like six months. So it's been uh, an issue for a while. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking out of all the streaming services that we cover and look at hbo max is probably um it's definitely in the top tier if not the best in my opinion mm -hmm. based on the caliber of content they have um access to all of doctor who is there all of friends is there so you're looking at two massive fan bases right there just for two shows yeah and then you're talking about now um looping in the fans of the movies that are coming out which wonder woman is one kong will probably bring some other people into things uh the justice league cut will bring some people into things for sure yeah um and some of these other minor movies like uh little things in the heights that's coming out and maybe even tom and jerry kids movie might bring some additional people so i think they've the, this model is obviously not as good as if we were you know widely distributed in the theater and there were no restrictions and everything but i think they found a good path to actually earning some money instead of just holding it and nothing happening. So I'm really interested in seeing, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be uh, interesting to see how fiscally they come out with numbers for specific movies. Like how do they figure all this out um, in the end? Because you're not driving specific ticket sales for one movie to a theater. So how do we, how do we separate that? But um, it's certainly making an impact. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see how many of the customers last long term on HBO Max, because uh, we know with the amount of streaming services, nobody can pay for all of them at the same time. So a lot of people are starting to, to play the game where whenever their specific show comes out on a on a service, they subscribe to it mm -hmm. and they cancel once they're finished watching that and go to another one. So that's starting to happen more and more. So it'd be interesting to see how many people continue on with the HBO Max app. Um, or whether it's one of those cases where they drop it and pick it up whenever a, a movie that uh, that they want to see comes out, because uh, it's reasonable to do so. I mean, at the at the what fifteen bucks a month, yeah, they're charging for it. That's about what you would pay to go to a theater. So, and plus you get the whole streaming library. And like you said, it really is. It is an excellent content library. It's probably the best in terms of the quality of the movies that it has on there. Um, in addition to getting the entire back catalog of HBO, yeah, uh, which is something not all streaming services have done, is provide their entire back catalog, which I think is something that makes HBO Max stand out. Yeah, I, I have to admit that I do wish that uh, Regal was open and taking my monthly money for my movie pass more than HBO Max was taking my money. But, yeah, uh, you know, I'll take it as an alternative because I can't have anything else. 
yeah. it's just unfortunate if we want to go see a movie now, we kind of have to pay a uh, premium to be able to see it instead of being able to use our unlimited thing. Yeah, we got spoiled there for a little while. Yeah, I hope it. I hope it comes back in full force with yeah. love and extra benefits. I guess we'll find out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I thought we'd uh, we'd spend a little time talking on some upcoming movies. <clears throat> so we've kind of largely ignored some of the very small releases that have come out over the past couple of months, but there's there's one in particular that comes out uh, Friday the 29th, which you'll be listening to this at the earliest on Friday. Uh, and that's the little things. <clears throat> and this is a very intriguing movie that is coming out uh, simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. And this has a lot of a lot of intrigue to it. It stars Denzel Washington, Remy Malik, and Jared Leto. And it's uh, two cops trying to track down a serial killer. And there's a lot of things that are potentially really, really good about this movie. I mean, the acting cast alone is enough to make you want to go see it. But uh, having seen the trailer, um, Jared Leto looks fantastic in this one. And as you indicated before we, we got on, uh, angry Denzel is good Denzel. Yeah. Denzel with a purpose. Man on fire. That's the Denzel I like to see. So <laughs> It seems like um, in this episode, we might get a little bit of... Uh, sage older version denzel who is also upset which i think is might be like the perfect spot mm. for denzel to be in right now so i'm very excited to see that and uh you know i'm i i haven't seen a lot of rami malik obviously um you know his show was quite good uh and the queen movie was pretty decent as well so it's pretty cool to see him have further and growing opportunities based off the success of his character on portrayal on Mr. Robot. Um, so I'm excited to see what kind of different characters he can play, because obviously in that show, he was one like very specific type of personality. So to see him branch out and do some other things and to see if he can get himself away from that, because it's very easy, I think, when you're on a hit show like that, that has a ton of success to get typecast as that kind of person. Yeah. So can you break away from that and be, you know, a broad range actor? Uh, I know that you've seen, uh, like, you're, you're a Mr. Robot fanatic. So what, what do you think about his potential um, as an actor in this and, and moving forward? Yeah, I'm intrigued too, because he seemed very, very well suited for his role on Mr. Robot. And kind of like... Um, the Matrix, how mm. that role worked really, really well for Keanu Reeves. But Keanu Reeves doesn't necessarily have a, a huge range as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, there is a little bit of concern for me that he is a similar mold. Remy Malik is a similar mold. So now, if they would ever let us watch Bond, maybe these fears would have been assuaged. Yeah. <laughs> Rami Malik is playing the bad guy in Bond, but we will never see that. So <laughs> Rami Malik may not even be a thing by the time that movie comes out. He's really more of a construct than an actual person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm a, I am I am very intrigued because I think um, I love I love movies about serial killers. I love 
I love like the back and forth investigation, cop drama type stuff. Um, so this has a lot of potential. And if, if Malik can, can hold his weight with Jared Leto and with uh, Denzel, I, I am intrigued. Now, I mean, we're saying this and Rami Malik did win an Oscar for yeah. his role in Queen. Um, but one can say that, you know, that was a lot because he looked like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> so he did a good job of looking like Freddie Mercury. But Congratulations he was, on he being born with the physical features you were born with. Here's an award. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, that's not giving him enough credit no, for his work in the movie. But. Yeah, it, it, it was good. And it was, it was good. And I think he did a good job playing the role. Um, but I'm intrigued to see him in other things. In, in the movie world. I'm intrigued to see if he can handle it. Well, the best of luck to him because I know that we both uh, appreciate the things he's done so far. So I know yeah. we're both hoping that he will move on and move on uh, forward in that way. Mm -hmm. So definitely go out and go and check out the, the little things, HBO Max and in theaters. I'm planning on trying to check this out in theaters. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Perhaps a coordinated assault on the movie theater. Yes. With our six foot distance and mask use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I thought we'd also highlight a couple other things that are coming out uh, in, in March um, that I saw that I thought were intriguing. One is called The Courier. And this is a spy film based on a real life character. And it is the main character is played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm. So I am always a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. But this movie, um, uh, he's playing real-life British spy Greville Wynn, whose business in Eastern Europe allowed him to act as a go-between for Western intelligence and Soviet spies at the height of the mm. Cold War. So we've talked um, a little bit about how both of us really loved like, the Cold War drama. And so you throw in spies and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And I think this one has a lot of potential. So this movie is coming out in, uh, in, on March 19th. Yeah, and I will say that uh, Cumberbatch has done a good job, in my opinion, in historical uh, pieces. His small role in uh, uh, 1917 was quite well executed. And I thought that his performance in the imitation game where he played Alan Turing was a really moving and well done performance. So yeah, uh, I, I definitely think he's got the capability. He's one of those actors who seems to be able to do a whole bunch of things. Just, he's also one of those actors where he's just so there, there's something just so unique and distinct about him, whether it's um, his physical attributes or his voice or the things combined that sometimes it can be hard to disassociate disassociate yourself from it and not just see him <laughs> yeah it's true. it's true and i don't know why that why that is so prevalent for some actors but he's one of them um but beyond like i think it's to his credit that despite that he seems to really get into the roles that he's portraying and does quite uh an expert job mm -hmm. at portraying those characters yeah. yeah, and he we've seen him in another historical spy film uh, based on the John le Carre novel, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yeah. which was quite a good, I mean, it was a slow burn movie, but it was quite a good intrigue spy thriller that he was a part of. 
wasn't the main character, but he was, uh, but he was in there. And so I think this is, I think this is a, this is a great role. I love spy films. So I'm intrigued for, for this one to come out. Uh, so hopefully this will just be more fantastic films for us to look forward to here this spring. Yes. All right. So that's that one. And the last one we want to cover here is, um, one that's coming out on Disney Plus, which gives me a little bit of a nostalgia kick. Um, and this is Emilio Estevez will be back coaching a new generation of hockey misfits in the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. That's right. This is a movie coming out on HBO or uh, Disney Plus. Sorry. This is coming out on Disney Plus at the end of March, March 26th, in fact. Um, so it's the, he's back with a new cast where he's he'll be coaching again or bringing the ducks back uh what, what did you think about uh what do you think about bringing back the mighty ducks here uh i'm always up for the mighty ducks you know it's uh it's it's one of my favorite series from when i was a kid and we're going to talk now about some other things and i, I just have to say in honor of this movie, I had to look this up right now and read this just because it's like the homily for, you know, what we're talking about right now. And I'm Gordon Bombay, Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're Team USA gathered from all across America, and we're going to stick together. You know why? Because we are ducks and ducks fly together. And just when you think they're about to break apart, ducks fly together. And when the wind blows hard and the sky is black, Ducks fly together. <laughs> when the roosters are crowing and the cows are spinning circles in the pastures, um, okay. Ducks fly together. <laughs> and when everyone says it can't be done, ducks fly, fly together. together. It's almost like the, like I said, it's the homily. Like it's the at the church of '90s Disney movies. This would be the call and response. Yes. <laughs> so now I'm excited to see new ducks fly together and. If they don't include ducks fly together in this movie, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, there's gonna be violence. I'm gonna be very upset. Yes. <laughs> we just need, uh, what is it, Keenan? Uh, <laughs> Keenan, what? We need the knuckle puck back. Yeah, yeah, knuckle puck. Keenan Thompson. Keenan Thompson. Puck. Yes, Keenan Thompson yeah. with the knuckle puck. <laughs> we need, we need a, we, there needs to be at least one flying V, which makes absolutely no hockey sense whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, you're watching and you're like, it would take one person to check one person and this would be done, but okay. Yeah, I think they, <laughs> they finally realized that. And I think it happened in, in D2 when like the ice yeah. team came in yeah. and crushed them on their flying V. <laughs> You're yeah, not on well, anymore, man. Five minutes well worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Air bombing oh, loafer for kids I, those movies that objectively are probably not good, but subject like subjectively, man, I'm all about it, especially D2. Yeah. Um, D2 was one of the first movies that wasn't like a kid's cartoon that my mom let me go see in the theater nice. at a friend's birthday party. So it always holds a special place in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I, I wore out Mighty Ducks and D2 wore them out like my parents got so tired of me watching them <laughs> so i hope it's good i hope it's i hope it's a good movie i mean 
bringing back Gordon Bombay, bringing back the Mighty Ducks. I hope I hope it connects with a new generation of kids the way it connected with us. Yeah, being, I don't know that it will, but I, I hope so. Being born in Belfast, Maine, and having the goalie Julie be from Bangor, Maine, was always a huge highlight for me too. Whenever <laughs> I heard it, I was like, oh, "She's from a half an hour from where I was born." Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I will say the Mighty Ducks combined with like the 92 winter Olympics and the fact that I got like my grandparents got us like a 92 winter Olympics, like floor hockey set. Like that time period is what got me into hockey. Like I'm a hockey fan today because of the mighty ducks (laughs) and, (laughs) and and, you know, 92 winter Olympics amongst other things. And also produced one of my favorite jokes in all of cartoons in space jam, which (laughs) is not by Disney. It's by Warner brothers. (laughs) <laughs> when uh daffy da- uh yeah daffy duck and bugs bunny are talking and they're talking about potential team names and i think bugs bunny sa- or daffy duck says how about the ducks and bugs bunny says the ducks what kind of mickey mouse organization would name a team like that <laughs> <laughs> and, Such then a they, good burn. and then they literally went ahead and named an actual NHL yes. team the ducks not only that they made their logo the cartoon helmet from the cartoon which is even just another level yeah it's still <laughs> kind of a good logo though so yeah <laughs> it's pretty scary hockey mask duck face i gotta say yeah so end of march you can look forward to the mighty ducks game changers coming out on disney plus so that's a good transition point for us uh into our discussions so in, in honor of the return of the mighty ducks i was thinking you know, what movies from from our childhood would we love for them to bring back? What movies did we watch, did we really care about, really love that we would love for them to uh, revive and, and give to a new generation of kids? So I was thinking about this and um, I said I would go first to give, uh, to give Rob, uh, Rob an opportunity here, but um, the first one I thought of, I, and it's, it's almost, there, I would say it's almost more of a genre, but there's a couple of films that fit into this genre. The live action, like semi, like reasonably decent quality kids movies. Um, you, had, you had a bunch of them in this category, um, like Heavyweights. Mm. Heavyweights is a great movie. You know, they go to fat camp. And you have all like the child star actors in Fat Camp, and they're all sneaking food and they're trying to get them to lose weight. And Ben Stiller is the you know the taskmaster at camp, and they're all running around. I, I love that movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. And there was a whole genre of movies like that, which you designed for kids. You got Richie Rich, um, The Big Green. Mm. Um, just a number of them that like kind of starred kids, but were were reasonably decent quality movies. Um, they weren't. Now I think we we lean so heavily on animation for kids movies that we don't do a whole lot of live action stuff, and the ones they do are kind of like, eh. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. So the first one for me would be Heavyweights. I'd love to see another version of of something like that come out. Yeah, it's so hard for me to to really pick something because I love I like the versions that are original so much. Like yes, 
you know, there are some movies that I feel like are kind of timeless, like The Princess Bride, not necessarily a kid's movie, but I think a movie a lot of kids watched. I know I did like a billion times when I was a kid. In fact, I watched it so much that I was eight or nine and my dad told me I wasn't allowed to watch with people coming over to watch it for the first time because I would literally quote every line from the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Isaac, tear his arms off. Um, So I, man, but I like, so in some ways I want that to connect to a new generation, but I don't want a new version of it because I like the version that was made. it's interesting what Disney has done with the live action versions of the animation. Mm. I think that some have been okay and some have been absolutely awful <laughs> based on which one we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so that's been interesting to see them go that way with some things uh, kind of along the lines of what you're talking about. And you mentioned one, uh, the big green would be, I, I'd be up to see some more adaptations of, kids sports movies mm. because that was a big thing um for us i think a lot more back in the 90s when you're talking about the sandlot mm-hmm. um you already mentioned the big green and there's a there's a, a fair f- angels in the outfield my goodness i love that movie that's i think that's one that we could do yeah remake of. i think the only problem is no one probably cares about the angels baseball team uh <laughs> mike trout though yeah mike trout though mike trout yeah. Mike Trout, like the least marketable professional <laughs> superstar ever in a sport for some reason. <laughs> I think I think it's mainly because he just doesn't care. Yeah. And uh, when you don't care, it's hard for people to market you too much. <laughs> well, and the owner just has never been able to put a team around him. Like, yeah. You have the best player of his generation and not be able to put a team yeah. around him. But believe it or not, this is not a baseball podcast. So. No, it is not. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I feel like there were a whole bunch of those movies that came out, um, and we already mentioned The Mighty Ducks and mm-hmm. The Mighty Ducks 2. Uh, movies that were about kids coming together and becoming part, little giants, becoming part of something bigger than themselves. Like, I just keep on thinking of more and more examples that kind of backs up my point. Yeah. Um, I don't think we see much of that anymore. And that, that would be something that, you know, could be helpful, I think. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw out another one that I absolutely loved, and it's another, <laughs> it seems like I just grew up watching Macaulay Culkin movies, but uh, yeah. Getting Even with Dad, I think you could do, I think you could do an updated version of Getting Even with Dad. Um, that is one where his, Macaulay Culkin um, goes to stay with his dad, who's just out of prison after, you know, being a, a robber. And he catches the fact that his dad had gone ahead and stolen something and he hides, he hides the coins that they stole and then forces his dad and his dad's two hapless buddies to haul him around San Francisco, take him to baseball games and, (laughs) and uh, you know, ice cream and mini golf and all the stuff, basically to hang out with him in order for him to tell him where the coins are. And it was just a fun, it was a fun movie. And, it's, it's another one of those kids get the better of them. You know, Three Ninjas is another similar type of movie. So more of those. I think, I think a new generation of those. We just don't see them around, those type of movies. Yeah, definitely uh, the wholesome, like I said, uh, kids coming together to accomplish something, you know, is, is definitely would be helpful for our generation. Yeah. <laughs> the younger generation to see more of, without a doubt. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on to our second discussion item. 
And this one came up, um, came up to me on based on some of the stuff we were talking about in a recent podcast. But I was thinking about it when it comes to directors. Which directors do you think have the most distinct style? And what I mean by this is if you turn on a movie and you watch like 15, 20 seconds of it, can you instantaneously tell who the director is? And there are some directors out there that are like this. So I thought we'd have some fun talking about uh, some directors that we think have the most distinct, unique style where it's very recognizable. Um, this is not saying whether the director is actually good or actually bad. It just means that they have their own distinct style. So what do you think? Do you have any in mind? Uh, I think that there's one like blindingly obvious answer to this <laughs> question. And I think that you would have the same answer, but Wes Anderson is like yeah. top of the list without a doubt. And he's so good in his style that you can watch his animated movies and know it's a Wes Anderson movie within about a minute. Mm -hmm. Like even, even though they're not his live action piece. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is, what what part of his style is. I think there's so many um, things that all mesh together to make something his style. I think you're looking at like stark settings. You're looking at uh, color palettes that are um, uniform and varied from set to set in a movie. Uh, the dialogue is always uh, witty and dry uh, across his movies, whether they're live or animated. Um, in a lot of cases, the people playing the characters are the same people. <laughs> so that always helps, I guess. But uh, yeah, Wes Anderson is like, you can, I, I think any one of his movies you could pick out and watch like two, two or three minutes of and know it's his movie. Yeah. There's just nobody else who makes movies the way he does. Yeah. And like you said, that's not to say that he's like the best director of all time mm -hmm. or anything, just that he has developed something and he sticks to it yeah well still like the thing i find impressive about that is he's still able to tell really unique stories it's just the visual quality of it is almost always like on the same level mm -hmm. yeah so i will go i will go with one who i think has a very distinct style i don't always think it's good but i think it's very distinct and that's Zack snyder mm -hmm. i think Zack snyder has a very unique unique style it's highly it's highly stylized um it tends to be very dark it tends to be brooding um he's got the the long they tend to be long <laughs> his movies all tend to be pretty long and uh they just have a moody quality to mm. um very dark tones and I think it's very distinct. You can kind of tell you're watching a Zack Snyder movie and nobody else quite quite characterizes it like that. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, they, they kind of, um, one of my favorite movies of the last year was Teen Titans Go to the Movies, hmm. which if you have not seen it and you're a fan of DC movies, you must see this movie because <laughs> it absolutely rips, like it's a DC movie and it rips DC apart and it's so funny because they just make fun of, like they're like, oh, look, unnecessary slow motion and like all these other things that are like Zack Snyder trademarks, like even going into the whole uh, reveal in Batman versus Superman. 
<laughs> they've got this shot of the cartoon versions of these characters on a set and the one goes my mommy's name is Martha and the other guy goes my mommy's name is Martha too and they go in and hug each other oh, like, <laughs> um Zack Snyder is very distinctive and I think that there are positives and negatives that make him distinctive. I think something that's distinctive about him is he is very good at broad action. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, uh, I think that's something that's undersold because I don't think there are many people who are good at high level, broad sweeping action. And I think yeah. he is. Um, <laughs> but I also think that for whatever reason, maybe his reliance on that makes the writing in his movies weak. Uh, and I would say that that's something that seems to be a trend in his movies, whether that's fair on him or not as a director, it's hard to say because he's, you know, he's not in charge of all the writing, um, you know, but he certainly has input and it's certainly his vision that's realized when we see the final product. Yeah. Um, I think he's very good at um, mood. Uh, one, I think the movie that sticks out to me most about that is Sucker Punch, which is not one of these superhero movies, but I think really develops this mood and this feel of this world where things are really broken and hopeless. I think he's really good at that, but I also think that uh, sometimes he can tend to lean on that too much and things can seem a little heavy fisted. So it's, you know, it's hard to say exactly, like you said, it's not saying that they're the best director in the world, just that they have a style about them that makes them very unique and recognizable um i love i'd love to hear your thoughts on uh those points that i had about his style yeah i i totally agree i think i think mood is his strength i think like a lot of things your strength can also be your weakness he's so heavily tied into the whole brooding dark side of it that there's it's almost overwhelming in some of his movies where it becomes a detractor at some point. Mm. Um, this is one of the big contentions between him and Joss Whedon with the whole Justice League is Joss Whedon came in and tried to lighten up the mood a little bit. <laughs> and Zack Snyder's like, get all that humor out of there. We're not doing any of that. We're going back to the, we're going back to the heavy dark stuff. So I think there, he needs a little bit more balance in that. Um, but he does do a great job creating the world that he's trying to create. And, and you're right. He's, he's one of the few directors that can handle epic action. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he keeps getting these big time films because they know he can handle, they know he can handle it there. And not every director can. It's just, it can be frustrating because you see, uh, the, the one thing that sticks out to me the most, like if I, if I was to show you 30 seconds of Zack Snyder or a minute of Zack Snyder, mm -hmm. that would really um, encapsulate this idea. It's in Man of Steel when he shoots off the earth into outer space. And that sequence is just phenomenally shot. It's beautiful. And it, kind of, it, it just kind of makes you wonder like, what if the whole movie was like this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what, because, and and I know that um, like when we saw that moment in the trailer before that movie came out, you were just like, whoa, <laughs> like yeah. that's Superman. Like yeah. that's Superman right there. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the question is, why can't it be, you know, fully realized? It seems like in yeah. some ways, but enough beating up Zack Snyder. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, what I have, I have a couple other ones. Okay. Uh, one being, uh, I would say be, I wouldn't, I don't even know if he's behind. I think I have three directors who are my favorites and that's Christopher Nolan, Wes Anderson, who I already talked about. Yeah. And the third one who I think has a really distinct style himself is Guillermo del Toro. Hmm. Um, and I think that his style is really built around the element of fantasy and being able to realize fantasy in a practical way that makes it feel like it has stakes and makes it scary. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie that I think about the most when I, when I talk about that is the movie Pan's Labyrinth, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's in Spanish. Um, so there's like, there's a lot of reading of subtitles and things and a lot of people you know, might not be on board for that. For me, it wasn't that difficult because I took a lot of Spanish in high school. So I was able to follow most of what the characters were saying just by listening to them. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be the same for everybody. Um, but I think that movie really encapsulates his style well because it's set in a real place um, in the Spanish Civil War with real things happening with real people, but it has this element of fantasy that's like around the corner just out of the corner of your eye that you can't quite see, but it's there. In the very first scene of the movie, you see some of the fantasy characters flying around. You don't even realize they are until a little bit later. Um, But he's just great at that real world and then expanding it out to show more of the behind the scenes element. And I I also think that his version of um, Hellboy was fantastic. Hmm. The same way that it, uh, obviously that's not as grounded in reality because it's about a demon from hell with a giant rock fist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he still was able to give the characters in that movie emotional depth, even though it was this crazy outlandish uh, comic book movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really look forward to anything that he comes out with because I know that it's going to be unique. I know that there will be moments in it that have me on edge. And I think he's one of the best directors at that. Um, so yeah, Guillermo del Toro is on up near the top of my list too for a director with a unique style. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, the next one. I will say uh, Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Tarantino has a few distinct elements. Um, one is his, uh, his insane need for extreme violence. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen upon one of his movies where you jump into one of the extremely violent scenes, uh, you will know you're in a Tarantino movie. Um, he does that to varying success. Um, in fact, in, in uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, he went so far as to, the, they told him like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. So he went and had the whole scene animated <laughs> so that he could get it in and still keep an R rating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, when we were watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the first time, you, we, I think we were both at one point like, this movie has gone on for two hours and there's been like no violence. What's going on? And then they come and attack the guy at the house and he slams the girl's face into the phone receiver about 20 times. So they're like, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then they flamethrower the person in the pool. <laughs> and that is a that that movie is a perfect example of when he does it well. Like yeah. that scene is so unbelievably violent, and you're just laughing hysterically the entire time you're watching it. <laughs> but yeah, extreme violence. Um, also, he's known for just random cut-in graphics 
yeah just random titles showing up like giant titles showing up out of nowhere um things along those lines um kind of a slick fast moving dialogue um and again he's he's another one of those directors when he pulls it off it's fantastic and it's so enjoyable um and sometimes it's terrible i would say one of the, maybe one of the things that pushes it from great to not great is that he is the exposition master yeah and i think that he is someone who is so dedicated to getting his version out the best way that it can get out that he is a slave to the exposition sometimes and that he'll just draw it out and draw it out and draw it out and for someone like me who like my favorite genre is drama that's over two hours long <laughs> <laughs> so that's why i like tarantino a lot but there are a lot of people who that is not you know that's not for them yeah but he's not gonna sacrifice for that he's not gonna sacrifice to those people like he's made it clear over the history of his movies he's gonna make his two and a half hour long movie and you're gonna like it or you're not gonna like it he's not gonna care <laughs> yeah all right let's do let's do one more and let's let's uh we'll, we'll make it somewhat quick let's do one more yeah, my last one is michael bay boom boom oh boom, yes boom, boom. yes michael uh, bay. If, if you're watching a michael bay movie you know you're gonna see an unnecessary amount of ridiculous explosions and special effects uh-huh <laughs> yes you are <laughs> and that has been uh re reposted and just made fun of over several years now because he it was such a big thing with his movies action movies in the 90s that it, like he became a trope of himself which is yeah. you know in some ways that's not great but in other ways that's pretty dang impressive <laughs> <laughs> for a director to be able to like have a whole style just associated with who he is like we're gonna yeah. see michael bay we're gonna see things blow up let's go i think i think the worst of michael bay for me was uh revenge of the fallen transformers revenge of the fallen mm. there's like the last hour of the movie is a giant battle scene in which basically it's just like everyone's blowing up and fighting each other and bombs fly. it's just it's just chaos it's like an to hour the point where you literally don't know who is fighting against who you don't know who's fighting against who and you stop caring it just goes on forever and ever that you just stop caring but it's it's also it's also sometimes it's just a lot of fun to go watch stuff explode yeah action movies are great every once in a while in small yeah. doses yeah so my last one is guy Ritchie. Mm. guy Ritchie has an incredibly distinct style um the the witty british banter um the insane use of coincidence and irony um are always heavily heavily um involved in all of his movies um you also have the uh, i lost my train of thought there yeah you've got the witty banter you've got the i mean they're all very very british and of course like so many of them involve significant amounts of weed for no apparent reason <laughs> <laughs> like he bases an inordinate amount of his movies have weed as an actual plot point yeah in fact his newest movie the gentleman was literally about a giant marijuana enterprise <laughs> but it's not lock stock and smoking barrel they decided to knock off the pot guys next door and, yeah. and deal with their pot it's like he has a weird obsession with pot 
but you get you get a lot of you got a, a lot of like fisticuffs you get a lot of um uh, like tough guy you know like tough guy rabble rousing you know british uh style but it's it's really unique you know when you're watching a guy Ritchie movie yeah absolutely and i would say if you have not watched the gentleman which is his newest movie you should watch it because uh, the other thing that Guy Ritchie is really good at, in my opinion, is developing a storyline with an ensemble cast. And that's yeah. something that is not easily pulled off. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that he's probably the best ensemble director in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I, I I guess you could say Quentin Tarantino is up there too, um, if you're looking at that. But for my money, Guy Ritchie is the best. Yeah. And and along with that, it's like his movies are like scrambled eggs. Like it's chaos for the vast majority of the movie. Like there's no way he's going to bring this together. And then he always manages to tie it all back in in a neat bow. And it's really, it's really something how he does it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting as we have this conversation to think about how many directors there really are who have developed their own real style. Um, it's a pretty fascinating thing to look at. All right, so let's move on to our watch list. Movies that we watched last week. Um, so I will start out a little bit on this one. Uh, so I said last week that I was going to try and start getting into the Jurassic Park movies again. And so I started with the original Jurassic Park. Um, one of the things that struck me this time when I was watching it is how much of the movie does not feature dinosaurs. Mm. Um, especially early in the movie. When they arrive onto the island, you get the initial clip of them seeing dinosaurs. And then for the next like 45 minutes or an hour, there are no dinosaurs, which includes like the mystery surrounding the raptors and then the, all the failed all the failed attempts of them going out into the park to look at dinosaurs. So uh, there are eventually going to be dinosaurs on your dinosaur ride. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Dr. Ian Malcolm, gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, so that that just fascinated me because I just don't, I didn't remember exactly that there was that long of a stretch that didn't actually involve the dinosaurs. Um, but it, I mean, you can tell nowadays that the that the action that the animation has has passed it by, but it still doesn't hold up too badly considering how old it is. Yeah. So that was the first one I watched. The second one I watched was uh, Ex Machina, uh, the Alex Garland movie. Um, ah, just a fantastic movie. If you love, if you love the philosophical side of sci-fi, this movie is is for you. You will feel like engaging in deep philosophical discussions about anything after watching this movie. Um, it really is an intrigue. The basic plot is. Um, the head of a high-tech tech firm develops an AI and he brings one of his employees out to his secluded mansion to basically give it the Turing test to try and determine whether or not this AI is actually alive. And so the discussions going back and forth um, just really, really makes, um, there's a constant game of who's trying to play who uh, going back and forth and the testing of intelligence and what it means to be alive and what it means to be conscious and the ethical responsibilities involved in any of that. Um, really, really fascinating movie. 
Yeah, that's one of my favorites of the last several years, for sure. And I should make a note to watch that. Maybe I'll watch that this week. There you go. And uh, the last one I watched, I won't spend a ton of time on it because we've talked a ton about Christopher Nolan and all of his movies. But uh, I, got, I watched Interstellar again just because I felt like it. Um, and it's Not, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, my I think the scene that stands out to me most is is the one when they come back up off the planet, the first planet, for, mm. um, where they had all the trouble, and you know it was seven years to one hour down on the planet, and they come back up, and it's been twenty two years, and then and then he's playing his all the the blogs from his family, mm. and just crying and bawling his eyes out. And the fact that Christopher Nolan could take something as abstract as a theory of relativity and create a moment that poignant is just masterful. Yeah, no arguments for me. Um, so I didn't watch a whole lot of movies this week, so I've been watching a lot of TV shows. Because <laughs> there's a lot of really good TV shows out there, but uh, <laughs> this is not the TV show podcast, so I'm not going to talk to you about Prodigal Son. We'll talk about movies. Um, <laughs> And the only the only movie that I really watched this week was uh, the Croods, the, mm. the new Croods movie. Um, really well done, uh, stylistic animation. Um, I think that for Croods and the new version of the Croods, uh, there are two movies that I severely underrated before watching that I think were much better than I expected, and I you know I should have been expecting the same with this one, but. Mm. Um, for whatever reason I didn't have much of a hope for it but I think it's done very well and Nicolas Cage uh, playing the patriarch of the family is quite adept at filling an animated role I'm, I'm sure you'll be surprised to know that he's good at playing something that's animated because he's certainly <laughs> not animated in real life um, there's a lot of humor that ties into modern times like we always seem to see in every kid's movie now and i don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing or if it's a new thing maybe it was happening when we were kids too i don't remember uh but my favorite my favorite one of that from this movie is so the crudes are used to living in caves and not being around anything you know so they're not used to seeing much nature or greenery or things that look nice and they stumble upon this oasis in the middle of the ice age where there's trees growing everywhere and fruit and rivers and they hand the kid a little thing that's made of four bamboo rods. And they say, here, take this. This is window. And he holds it up to his face and looks out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to stop watching window again. <laughs> and then he goes into their house and they've got a giant window that's looking out over the whole landscape. And he just sits on the couch and it's like, ah, if you guys need me, I'll be here watching window. <laughs> and outside the window he's watching monkeys fight each other and all kinds of crazy things um so it's basically a, a metaphor for mindlessly watching television <laughs> so i thought that was pretty funny and the story is uh pretty unique and well told uh not the best movie ever i mean it is still the crudes but uh i enjoyed it for what it was and i look forward to watching some more adult things this next week nice all right. And speaking of next week, uh, we'll talk about, we'll just mention a couple of things we're planning on watching. Uh, so for me, I'm planning on watching the little things as we talked about earlier and wrapping up the first uh, trilogy from 
uh, Jurassic Park with uh, Jurassic Park Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. So I'm looking forward to getting that. I think Jurassic Park 3 is probably my least, the one I've seen the least. So I'm looking forward to getting, seeing that again. Yeah, we just watched uh, 50% of the first Jurassic Park before my kids lost their minds in terror. So we will try and watch that, uh, my wife and I together by ourselves sometime this week. I'm going to be watching the little things too. Very looking forward to it. And uh, since you brought up Ex Machina, I might uh, go watch it again because I've not watched it in a while. And that's a great movie. Definitely. All right. Well, that is the show for today. Um, If you like our show, please rate, subscribe, um, go to our YouTube channel and click the the subscribe button. Uh, Share it with your friends. If, If you like something, Share it. We love, we'd love to have more fans. Uh, also visit filmforfans.com. We're planning on doing a review of The Little Things, which should be up on the website at some point this week. And we can talk about that again next week on the podcast. But until next time, enjoy the movies. Ducks fly together. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>